All right. Good morning. My name is Pastor Mike. Uh, I'm coming to you from the Yorktown campus, but we're all one, right? And so we're glad to be here this morning. I know you saw my wonderful wife, Beth Ann, a couple weeks ago, and she uh, sang with you guys. And um, I, I married well, right? If you heard that. I mean, I punted way past my coverage. Uh, and you don't even know me, and you're thinking that, right? Okay. <laughs> Cool. Hey, uh, I, I've got three kids. I don't know if Beth got the chance to introduce this, uh, but we have three kids. We have Levi, who's actually sitting in service with us today. And then uh, we have Liam and Michaela, who's in the back, and she is spoiled. The other two are not. Uh, she is my favorite, and the boys know that. They're, go- they're getting okay with that. So, But hey, we're glad to be here this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 5. Surprise, surprise, we're still in Ephesians, but we'll be in verses 15 through 20. Um, But before we get there, I kind of want to give you a little insight to me. I think that kind of helps when people hear a new guy preaching and they're like, who is this Yahoo, right? And so yesterday, my boys and I, they were begging to go learn to play golf. And uh, we actually live at our other campus, Deer Park campus. So uh, we have this massive, huge yard. It's like the size of a football field. And so my boys are asking, like, Dad, can you teach us to swing? And I was like, well, you know what? There's enough distance there that we actually could take the golf ball out there and we could probably hit it and not hit a building. And so we did that. We had a little bit of woods, too, just in case, you know, we, we slice or we hook. And uh, I, I thought, man, this will be great. They can see how impressive Dad is. And, you know, they're just going to, wow, Dad, you're amazing. And so I thought it was a good chance to just have that opportunity. And so we walked outside. And by the way, at 7 p.m. at night, did you guys go outside? It's still 90 degrees. It's flipping hot, isn't it? Uh, so we walk outside. We get there. I'm grabbing my clubs. I'm showing them. I'm showing the stance. I'm making sure they know every little detail, right? I'm telling them where to place the ball. I'm telling them how to uh, put the grip right there on the handle to get the best shot and the best swing. And I, the first one, I just I chuck it, and it goes. And it's beautiful. And the boys are in awe because that's what they do for dad. It only went 20 yards, but they were in awe. So don't take that away from them. But we got, we started playing. I started showing them and you know how that gets. Sometimes they'll listen. They don't listen. You're kind of like, Argh. and they, they started swinging and hitting. Uh, Levi had a couple of good shots. Liam had one good shot, but it was fun and we enjoyed it. And so I, we got to the back end to where we're, we're on the far side of the house. And I was like, okay, I'm getting pretty good at golf. I'm not going to hit the house. I'm going to angle myself. There's this little bitty, like, almost where a perfect green would fit for, like, a par three off to the left side of the house. And I thought, if I can just get it within that vicinity, that would be great. And I know I will not club this ball because the last one I only hit 20 yards. So I I just want to work on my shot, see if I can do it. So I grab my eight iron. And if any of you guys golf in here, if you don't, that's probably for the best. It's really expensive to go play. I haven't played in months. Uh, but I, I looked that shot there. I angled just right, and I gave that thing a nice little swing. And Levi said, I got it, Dad. And he watched it, and apparently not as well as he could have. And it just flew, and we could not find the ball. And I'm pretty sure that there's a car window in Newport News that has a ball hanging right inside of it because I, all I heard was, and that was it. And it went silent. And so I, I figure it's probably on somebody's car window. All that to say, sometimes we don't make wise choices, do we? 
And, and today in our, our discussion, as we look at Ephesians 5, we're actually going to see that sometimes people don't make wise choices. And you've been around some folks that have not made wise choices. Maybe you have seen uh, your kids make an unwise choice. Maybe you've seen a coworker, a friend, or a family member make an unwise choice. But we, we always look at them and we say to ourselves, why are you doing that? You can't afford that. Why, why are you pursuing that opportunity? You can't move. That would be just crazy. That's not wise. But what if we became really honest with ourselves this morning? Who's the biggest culprit of unwise choices at times? It's me, right? It's us. You know, it's that plank in our eye, right? We've made some unwise choices in our past. That's why we're so aware of everyone else's unwise choices. And at, at times we forget that the definition of wisdom isn't just a definition, it's actually an equation. Anybody into math here? Because I'm not, but I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, somebody told me this several years ago. It might have been my dad. Experience plus knowledge equals what? Wisdom, right? When we combine experience and knowledge, we tend to get the best wisdom possible. But I'm going to take it a step further. Experience plus knowledge plus Standard of value equals wisdom. Have you ever been in the situation or looked at even our culture today and the standard of value we're holding? It's kind of interesting. Everybody's got their own set of standards. I'm curious what's going to be on the ballot this year. How many new parties will appear? And they all have these values and they all base them off something. Some base them off culture. They base them off of what we think culture is progressing towards, right? And eventually, here's what I think is going to happen. And maybe this is a dangerous thing to say, but I think eventually culture is going to progress into somewhere where everyone's uncomfortable because they're going to have to answer for everything. But occasionally, we get people like ourselves that our values come from one place and one source. It comes from Christ. It comes from the central source of his words that are written in the scriptures, in the Bible, in these several books and and letters and stories that we hear through scripture. And when we find those values, we combine those with the experience and knowledge that we've we've seen and, and been a part of, and we begin to get true wisdom. How many of you guys feel as though that's the equation you use. Sometimes, how many of us feel like that's not always the equation we use? We kind of jump around from thought to thought. But see, whenever I think about how do I be wise, I always think, what was Christ's experience? What was Christ's knowledge that I need to adhere to? And what are Christ's values? And so in Ephesians 5, if you'll turn with me this morning, we'll look and see that Paul begins to articulate these values. He begins to express that, hey, there's some good here that you need to adhere to. Because what happens in life is we we tend to chase down the things that make us comfortable. We tend to pursue the ideologies that, that don't cause us to stretch too much. And so when, when Paul writes in Ephesians 5 especially, 
he lays out some values to consider. He lays out some ideologies to consider in regards to how we should reflect Christ. How many of you guys think we should reflect Christ? Right? That's kind of the ultimate goal. And usually when we come up with a standard of values, we all aim towards the same goal. And for me, I aim for that goal, and I I hope that I reflect that goal to my children, uh, that I want to emulate, or what Ephesians 5.1 says, imitate Christ. That's why this thing is so beautifully set up. You guys uh, may have tackled some of these ideas last week, but ultimately, everything in chapter 5 leans back into, we are here to imitate Christ. Why? Why? because it's the best example of how we can express the gospel. That is the number one way that we can show the world who he is by imitating what he did for others, by imitating his care, his concern, his love, his freedom that he extended to others, his concern for them in their hearts, his willingness to set himself aside to be a sacrifice. What a good God we have. Starting at verse 15, let's look what Paul says as he continues in chapter five. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look carefully. How many times have you said that to your kids? How many times have you said that to a friend? I've said that several times to my kids. Uh, I know that we've, we've had moments where it may not be looked carefully, but it may be, uh, you may not want to do that, Levi, or you may not want to do that, Liam. You may not want to climb on that fire mantle. I don't think it's going to hold, right? Uh, you may not want to get on that window and lean on it too, too much, We've, we've all been in that circumstance where we've seen someone walking into chaos and we've said, look carefully. And so Paul says it to us. But first he says, as my first note here, make the best use of your time. How many of us are making the best use of time? Right? And there's kind of a, a, an underlying idea he's leaning, leaning into right here is he's saying, make the best use of your time as you share the gospel, as you extend the reflection of Christ into the community. That a lot of times, again, even as believers, right, Saturdays are off days or they're work days, right? You get out there, you mow the lawn, then you come back in, you may watch, well, not the game right now because no games are on, but you may look at the TV in hopes the, and dreaming of a game. I don't know. But we get in there and we sit. We get comfortable. We get a little bit, with that, what's that dirty word? Lazy. Over-relaxed, maybe you call it. But we get to that point where we, we begin to let go and we forget that our intentionality of being here on this earth and that we're here just for a myth, 
for a moment that we have this opportunity to share the gospel and that's what we're here for is to be a reflection to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers. And so Paul says, make the best use of your time because what? The days are evil. Man, is he really getting down to it? <laughs> I, who's used that phrase with you before? Anyone? Have you ever heard that? I've never had that phrase told to me. Uh, make the best days of your time because the days are evil? I He's actually saying because what's going to happen to you and me is that we're going to get into a place where our comfort is more important than our Jesus. That we're going to let go of what our, our, our commands are and our call. And we all know that sometimes too much comfort is not good. You eat too much comfort food, that ain't good. You're going to be feeling that the next day and maybe even the next day. And then if you keep doing that over and over, you're going to be feeling that for a lifetime. Trust me, I know. You've got, we've got to be careful to make the most of the time that we have because there is someone competing for us. They want to take us out of the equation because we believe in Jesus and we want to share Jesus. They want to remove that opportunity from our hands. They want to give us every excuse in the book. And who is that? Right? The days are evil. The evil one is trying to convince you to stop. Are you stopping or are you going? I think that's the question you need to ask yourself. The phrase, make the best use of time, is actually a marketing term. It was used quite often in those days. And in fact, we even have used it in our time period. And what Paul is trying to get across is he's saying, hey, be ready for the seasons and the circumstances. When we're ready for the seasons and the circumstances, it, we need to know when those moments are to share the gospel. Let me give you an example of that. How many of y'all love Christmas? Boy, you guys, I'm, we gotta respond here because that's how I interact with y'all. All right. Some of you don't love Christmas. I'm not judging you. Christmas is hard, especially when you get kids because you're like, what do I buy them? Can I afford to buy them anything? Uh, Christmas is tough, but there's a season when people usually show up where? Yeah, mom, I'll go to church with you this year. And then you have Easter. We need to start being more like turkey farmers during Thanksgiving. We need to start prepping a month out. We need to start becoming more intentional about sharing the gospel with our family and friends and saying, look, the time is short and the days are evil. We need to start believing what Paul is saying and begin to say to ourselves, okay, because the time is short and the days are evil, we need to start saying, Bill, my neighbor, hey, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, I want to be the living reflection of Jesus to you. You may not say it that way, but you might start out with hi. <laughs> Let's go with that. And at the end of the day, your goal is to just help them find Jesus in the process, to hear Jesus in the process, to see it through you and your family. And men, I'm gonna call out you men because it goes to me too. Our kids need to see it in us. Our friends need to see it in us. Even if we don't have kids. If someone was in here and single, people need to see it in you. We need to own up to it because next week the example that's being set is gonna call us even deeper into that reality. 
And so I just encourage you, look for the seasons, look for the times, the circumstances. Now, what are the circumstances? Well, uh, duh, right? Everybody wearing a face mask in here? This is a circumstance. This is a situation. I, I survived Katrina. Now, I only tell you that story not to brag because we actually left the city and then came back and got our stuff. But there was a circumstance going on in New Orleans at the time where people were open to the gospel. And right now, more than ever, people are asking questions and they're not looking to the political people of the world for answers. They ain't got any. I'm not saying to not trust our political people. I'm not saying to not love them and pray for them. But I'm saying no one at this time really has answers, but we do. We have Christ. Christ is the answer to all solutions. And I know that doesn't make it simple, but to bring us peace about our future, Jesus is the central point in which we should be expressing the love that he gave to us. And so my encouragement to you all is to realize that the circumstance we are currently in is ideal for what we want to do. Isn't that good news? This is the easiest time probably to talk about Jesus that people will open up, even if it's behind a face mask. Let's look to our neighbors and begin to pray for them. And maybe that's how it starts for you. Maybe you're realizing, hey, this is a circumstance. I'm gonna start praying for my neighbors. We met uh, the daughter of our neighbors next to the house that we're in, and they're from Jordan. And I've just been praying like crazy for that family. I have not got to meet the dad and the mom, and I keep praying. I keep going on walks, and I slow walk right by their house. Like, I'm like, just wait for you to walk outside. Come on. Nothing yet. But even when we used to go to the bus stop and drop off Levi, or when we go to a restaurant and we talk to the waiter or the waitress, or when we go to the local coffee shop and say, hey, I just want to be an example of Christ to you. We may not share the gospel in that moment, but we may be more attentive to being aware that they need the gospel at that moment. And so I encourage you, look for the seasons and the circumstances. But then as Paul moves on, therefore don't be foolish with your time, right? But we need to be in tune and know God's will. And so... Uh, Paul doesn't articulate it as well, I think, here in Ephesians as he does later. In fact, I think all of Ephesians, he's kind of articulating and laying it out. But in Ephesians, uh, or in 1 Thessalonians 5, he actually tells us the will of God. And he says this in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are um, over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them with uh, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. This is the important part, right? And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Mm, that's an important lesson, right? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. To do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is what? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything and hold fast what is good. And then the last part, as if we needed to know, right? Abstain from evil. It's a reminder. It even says it in the middle of the passage. This is the will of God. This is the way we articulate. This is the way we live out. This is the way we see Jesus live through us. A lot of our sanctification process, you use that big word around here, is just becoming more aware of the Jesus in you. The fullness of Jesus has always been there. But have we adapted to it? Have we allowed it to soak in, to realize that everything we need, the courage we need, the boldness we need to share the gospel, the boldness to live out the gospel is right there in us? Did Jesus operate boldly? Let's do another simple math equation. Is Jesus with you for those who believe in Christ in this room? Then you have everything you need. Amen? So I encourage you guys today, and I encourage myself. I'm speaking to me as well as I'm speaking to you. Let's all chase after the boldness that's already in us and let Christ just live it out of us. All right, as it goes on, though, Paul, wonderful Paul, he, he leads out this warning in verse 18 of Ephesians 5. What does he say? Do not get drunk. Now, a lot of you may be like, oh, no, no drinking. Uh, but that's not what he's saying. And you can get into that conversation on your own later. But he says, do not get drunk. Do not be consumed by something. Be consumed by someone. Too often we, and it's not just liquor, right? That's what we think when we read this. What Paul's actually saying, don't allow other things to enlighten you because, or make you happy in hopes that it'll show you another way or a better way. It's kind of naive for us that are spiritually mature to think that way, right? Because everything we have, everything we need is in Christ. It's all centered around him. And when we chase after the creation rather than the creator, we miss out on the good. All, all sins are, are pursuits in the opposite direction of the creator, when we pursue those two, you know this and you've watched this in other people. When they pursue sin or you have pursued sin, you end up trapping yourself in like a cage of your own sin. And the only resolution is to realize you already have the key, which is Christ. And you can get yourself out. Well, you get yourself out because he gives you the key. So it's really Jesus getting you out. But we, we tend to live in the sin and we know where the cage is. And I don't understand why we keep going after the cage. And I keep asking myself that when I do something, when I'm not as patient of a dad as I should be. So what do we do? I just want to encourage you, you can get out of the cage. All the freedom you need is in Christ. And if you have Christ, you have freedom. If you don't, I don't know what you have. And I know that sounds depressing and I hope it does. Because the only thing good we have is Jesus. That's the only thing that gives, the, gives everything here on earth life and goodness. But he says, 
please don't get drunk. In fact, the phrasing he uses actually says, hey, stop getting drunk. There's a possibility that the church in Ephesus was probably chasing after the same idol issues as the others that were there. If you remember in Acts 19 where, where Paul is in Ephesus, they have this big debate with this guy that says, hey, the, government, or the, the Christians are taking over and we're losing money. We gotta come up with a plan. We gotta figure out because I can't make my idols to sell to all the people. And so they came through and Paul began to preach the gospel and it changed the culture so much that someone felt threatened that they might lose their job because he didn't know about the freedom he had in Christ. He was trapped in his own enlightenment. And so the deal for us today is don't submit to the creation, but submit yourself to the creator. It's a much better option, trust me. But then he follows that up with be filled by the Spirit. So rather than consuming the world, let's be filled with the Spirit. Uh-oh, we might get Pentecostal in here. Be careful. We believe in the Holy Spirit. No, it sounds crazy. Someone who's with us always. Someone who gives us spiritual gifts. Someone who says, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you the ability to do what I'm going to ask you to do. And so what do we do when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm filled, I start overflowing. It starts running out my mouth. It starts pouring out. Well, not from anywhere else. That'd be awkward. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm going to let it out. I'm going to let people know that Jesus lives in me, and I won't be able to help it. When I'm consumed with spending time with God in prayer, when I'm consumed with spending time in his word, I just want to speak it and tell people about it and tell them about the awesome things that are going on, right? We do this with other products. Oh, this coffee's the greatest. Have you ever had this? Oh, have you seen my nice shiny computer? Well, we have the most shiny and amazing person in our lives. And he's more than even a person to equate him to just human would be crazy. He's God with us. So be filled with the Spirit. But then, when you are filled with the Spirit, you begin to sing songs and hymns. Have you ever seen someone frustrated in the church, hurting in the church because of something someone said in the church? What do we do? We sing truth over them. We sing the songs we just sang. I know it sounds awkward, but walk up to your spouse one day and just start singing to him, see what happens. <laughs> sing songs to him. That's throwing me off. <laughs> Don't smack your spouse. But sing songs to them. Sing praises of, of who God is. Remind them of the character and the quality that they have in Christ. Be filled with the Spirit so much, it just bursts out of you. Then he says this last part, which I think is incredibly essential. Express a heart of thanks for everything. Do we thank God for everything? Do we realize that everything we have, everything we need, everything we probably even want comes from one place? 
comes as a result that God created humanity and that everything we have is from him. In fact, James, in James 1.17 says this, every good gift, every perfect gift, that's a strong word, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, I love what James just did. If you ever go back and read that passage, James 1, he had actually just articulated, here's all the things that are gonna frustrate you in life, and here's all the woes I wanna warn you about. Here's what you need to remember, that every good and perfect gift comes from Christ. And if it's not of Christ, it's not worth being involved in. So figure out what are those things in your life that may not be of Christ and begin to chase after what is of Christ. What did Christ create for good? In fact, isn't that the outcome of wisdom? The outcome of wisdom is simply this, to make the good and righteous choice. Right, we know it's experience plus knowledge equals wisdom, but wisdom is the ability to make the good and righteous choice. It's the willingness to make the good and righteous choice. Are you willing today, even though it may hurt at first, knowing what is good, knowing what is righteous, knowing what scripture tells us, are you willing to make the right choice? Now, for those of you in the room who may not believe, and I say that all the time because I was a former church planter, and we deal with a lot of lost people. I just want to encourage you, what is good and what is right is all in Christ. And if you've been chasing after it elsewhere, stop for your own safety, for your own sake. He is good. He is righteous. It's going to lead you to a better place. It's not going to keep you trapped in the cage you've been in for years. So I just encourage you guys today, if we're going to pursue after wisdom, we must pursue after what is good what is right, and that only comes through Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for everything. Father, I thank you for every good and perfect gift. Father, as we sung earlier, on your rock, you are the solid rock in which we can stand. You are the solid rock in which we can be built up. You are the solid rock that we share with others because we know that anything outside of you is absent of, of really good. I understand, God, that's a strong statement, but Father, we believe that you are good. So help us, God, to make the best of our time to be ready in all seasons and circumstances to share your gospel, to live it out, and to be, be filled and realize that we are filled with your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray.